Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Here at The Next Reel, we've been passionately discussing movies week after week since 2011. That's a lot of movies and a lot of conversation. Sure is, Pete. And to be honest, it's a lot of work, too. But it's work that we love. If you've been enjoying our show, we'd like to remind you that there are ways to support us, even if you're not able to become a member just yet. You might have heard us talk about our new watch page, where we've listed every movie that we've talked about paired with Amazon or Apple links to rent or buy the movie. Now we'd like to introduce you to our Originals page. Let's take a trip down memory lane, Andy. Do you remember what the first film we discussed on The Next Reel was that was an adaptation? Uh, well, let's see. It wasn't, obviously, our Indiana Jones series, because those were all original. Uh, then we did Charlie Kaufman. Uh, oh, of course, it was Adaptation uh, from Susan Orlean's Orchid Thief. Exactly. We have covered quite a few adaptations over the years, and now we're providing a way for our listeners to delve into the original source material. That's right. Just head over to thenextreel.com slash originals, and you can see the list of all the adaptations that we have discussed. From our David Fincher series, featuring The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, The Social Network, Zodiac, Benjamin Button, and Fight Club. To our Paranoia trilogy with The Parallax View and All the President's Men. We have covered a variety of adaptations. Those were some great discussions, especially Fight Club. And let's not forget our baseball series with The Natural and Field of Dreams, adapted from Shoeless Joe. And Up in the Air and Thank You for Smoking. So many memorable conversations. Absolutely. And you know what's exciting? Each purchase you make through our links doesn't cost you any extra, but a percentage goes to support the next reel in our family of shows. You can support us while diving deeper into these fantastic stories, whether it's the paper, audiobook, or Kindle version. We've also included plays and movies. If they were the source, we've put it on there. So what are you waiting for? Head to thenextreel.com slash originals, support the next reel, and get your next great read today. I'm off to reread Fight Club. Now, where did I put my Kindle? I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. Anyway, I never finished my story. Is this about Jose Ferrar? No, George Gaines. It's, it's about George Gaines. So, 
So in To Be or Not To Be, he's an actor and he's always preparing his lines. And he's always doing this. When he's preparing to act, he's always going, me, my, mo, me, my, mo. <laughs> and I've been doing, I find myself doing that. And I'm like, where is that coming from? Why do you think that's a part of your life? Why do you think you do that? I don't know. Is it because you're channeling George Gaines? Apparently, apparently it's uh, more of an influence on my life than I ever realized. That's terrible. Yes. That's George funny. Gaines. That's good. No, I'm glad for you. George Gaines is 95. He was in, I think, all of the Police Academy movies and Wag the Dog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that was good. So um, that was the to be or not to be story. That was the story. Yes. Uh, would you like to talk about some trailers? No, I've let's talk about you. Let's talk about you. <laughs> oh, let's. Let's. Now, so, I've done some studying up on you. Uh, oh, And I happen to know that you can be found online at sodacreekfilm.com. Is that right? Wow, you found me out. I did. I hunted you down. Where else would you like people to go? They can tweet me at Soda Creek Film or find me on Facebook at Soda Creek Film. How do you feel? How are you feeling about Facebook? Pixel. Are you liking Facebook? Do you spend a lot of time there? The Facebook, uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a comfortable place. It's I good. guess that's a word you can <laughs> way to describe it. So you don't think terribly heavily about Facebook, do you? I don't dwell on it. I guess <laughs> you know. <laughs> Good. That's good. You don't want to stress about stuff. You don't have to. You know what they say. A wise man once said, uh, worry is interest paid on a debt that never comes due. Mm, yes. Do you that's know what, what? Do you have it? Do you know what that's from? I don't know what that's from. Are you serious? What's that from? I'm not going to tell you. Wait, say it again. No, Let I'm me... not going to tell you that. Oh. It's one of my favorite lines of all time. It's like if there were a list of my favorite lines... Another list. I'm actually writing this one down. The favorite <laughs> lines list. Favorite line. And it's not favorite quotes. Favorite single lines. Can't be a multi-line thing. Favorite lines list. This one is at the top of mine. And followed shortly after by... No! That'd be my second one. Do you know what wow. that one's from? Do you know what that's from? Jesus. <laughs> Oh dear! Oh dear me! Oh dear me! I don't know. What's it not from? <laughs> I feel like we're already gone on yeah. some strange tangent. <laughs> Worry is uh, is interest paid in advance on a debt that never comes due. It sounds familiar. <laughs> Jeez. I'm sorry. All right. Well, you're going to figure that out for next week. I'm going to let you have that, and, and you're going to give it to me. If anybody can figure it out before Andy, he's probably already figured it out, right? I'm trying already to. got it. Oh, here we go. Darn it. <laughs> if this were a live show and we had a chat room, you'd have totally lost. I know. Chat I know. room knows all. Uh, it's from the Spanish Prisoner. Is that right? Yes. George Lang says it. I love that movie. I love, love that. That why have we not done that movie? That's one of my that's one of my top movies. I need to go rank that on Flickchart right now. I've only seen that once. Oh. I believe it. I know. That hurts me. That's a long time ago. I, I have clips to I have I want to hear you were supposed to you had an assignment to go watch some trailers and then uh, I have two new ones I want to talk about. Uh, no okay. three I have three new ones I want to talk about. Three new ones. Yeah. Yep. 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 I have uh, a few that we should talk about, but uh, yeah. I wonder if they match. So anyway, that'll be good. We'll see if they match. Yeah. Yep. So what trailers do you want to talk about? Did you watch the ones from last week? Did any of them uh, interest you? We had we had uh, uh, Django un, Unchained. I, I, you had I'd already seen, seen Django that Unchained, one. and that's three. I'm... Yeah, we don't need to talk about that. Yeah. Uh, three sixty, the perks of being a wallflower, Cosmopolis, and people like us. People like us, I had seen the trailer for, and that's okay. that's interesting. I think perks of being a wallflower looks cute. It'll be a cute little 
kind of a summer independent movie sort of thing. Totally agree. And um, I totally forgot to watch 360 because it disappeared from, I like, I was searching for all of the new trailers and it wasn't appearing on iTunes. And so therefore I, it was almost like it didn't exist. Mm. Yeah, that's kind of true. Yeah. So I, I completely left that one out. All right. I should, I, it's my bet because I don't think I put them in the uh, show notes last week. I need to yes. do that. I, yeah. I was totally my bet. I blame you. You should. That's, I'll own that. <laughs> okay, so uh, I there are three that I would like to add to our list of movies to think about. Mm, uh, Flight, Denzel's new movie. Yes. Have you seen this one? I have seen that one. Let me just say as an aside, I'm ranking uh, The Spanish Prisoner right now on Flickchart. And the first comparison, the first ranking for me is The Spanish Prisoner against Lost in Translation. Easy. It's an easy That's an easy one. Uh, okay. Uh, so uh, the Flight was the first one. I think it looks uh, r- really interesting. Um, it's it's one of those movies, I think, that that is going to test the way you think about uh you know good and bad and and um sort of the nature of uh what it means to be rescued if you're rescued by potentially the guy who puts you in danger right i mean that's uh, yeah. sort of the, the nature of moral right and wrong um and and i think that's interesting particularly in light of the movie we're talking about tonight uh the second one that i am still fascinated wait, by wait, what? wait 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 do what? i get to say anything Oh, about fly. Oh, yeah. No, we should. You should. I thought you did. Weren't interested. I thought you didn't like uh, Denzel. No, no. Did you know that this is it's it's Robert Zemeckis's next next motion capture movie, and it's all motion capture. Flight is. Nah, just pulling your chain. I was gonna like have to come to Arizona and just be with you. That's such an important. That's such brilliant stuff. Like we're yeah. just gonna have to sit together and watch the trailer together. That's amazing. Yeah, no, it, it's That's his a lie. First, it's his first live action movie since two thousand, since uh, um, What Lies Beneath and the and Castaway. So Uh-oh. he's finally coming back to real people. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I look forward so, to that. But it looks great. I'm excited about that one. Totally. That I think that looks really good. Uh, the second one that I'm just really fascinated by I, do, I have no idea really what to make of it now i feel like i know the story a little bit more but the second trailer uh hit this week for the master that's gonna be a very interesting one i heard um uh was it was it you who was telling me that um that paul thomas anderson took it to get tom cruise's blessing and it didn't work out so well. <laughs> no, it was not me. Tell me the story. I'm actually yeah. Well, that was interested. it. That was the story. Oh, Tom good Cruise's, story. <laughs> he wanted Tom Cruise's blessing because it's about the creation of Scientology, and uh, Tom Cruise was not a fan apparently. Wow, Tom so, Cruise. Yeah, but because uh, you know they were buddies from uh, from Magnolia. Yeah. So, yeah, it looks interesting. I've only seen um, the one trailer. The first and... one, the first uh, uh, Joaquin Phoenix trailer. Yeah, uh, yeah. And this one is much more interesting to me uh, because it it reveals Philip Seymour Hoffman as the sort of brilliant um, kind of intellectual megalomaniac, and uh, and and it it reveals more of their relationship. And it's just fascinating that the trailer is titled "Hopelessly Inquisitive," and I love titles. I love how he's doing these these trailers with titles. Uh, I believe this one is cut by Paul Thomas Anderson as well. Um, and uh, it just really holds up. I, it's a it's a, a fascinating sort of mini film. It's a short. Hmm. Actually, I take it back. That is the one that I watched. So you haven't seen the one that's that's uh, the drifter, I... the drifter on the beach. No, I guess I haven't seen that one. No, right. no, just hopelessly inquisitive. Well, there's another you should see it. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely have to check it out. It's uh, it was a, ver- a fascinating trailer. I actually had no idea what the story was because um, I didn't read the little the little blurb that went with it. And mm-hmm. as even though I had heard about this film, for some reason it it didn't click and I, it didn't put two and two together until afterward. So uh, very interesting. It's going to be a really interesting uh, story to yeah. to see about. Uh, let's see the third one, and I, this I think you will know immediately why. Oh, I already know. <laughs> okay, let's just say it together. Ready? One, yeah. two, three. 
pitch perfect. Perfect. That's right. <laughs> oh, I knew that one was coming up. <laughs> oh yeah. Totally. You know what? We should just do an episode on that movie before it even comes out. <laughs> oh, that was too funny. Rival yeah. acapella groups. Uh I I don't know if the, I, I don't know what's what's happening here. It's a like a, a the convergence of the sing-off reality television and uh, Glee, and uh, I, I I don't know what else, uh, but it's it's yeah. uh, we've got yeah. some street some street yeah. acapella. Yeah, Ben Folds album. Uh, it's good. I can't wait. I love I love me some acapella. That I makes know me, you do. That I makes me a do. certain kind of person, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Yeah. Well, you done got yourself a pretty voice. I done, I got. I sing like a bird. Eats like a horse and whistles like a bird. Something like that. Whistles like a bird and eats like a horse, Clark. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about your trailers. What do you want to talk about? Well, there were. It was just kind of a fascination um, by two trailers um, for. Uh, Ethan Hawke, he has two new movies coming out, and he's, you know, I don't know where Ethan Hawke's been these days, but... Yeah, man, he just disappeared. Yeah, he kind of goes through these phases where he, I don't know if he goes off and writes poetry or what he's doing, but he kind of seemed to disappear for a little while. And uh, all of a sudden, he's, like, back with these two new trailers. The first one is, um, and they're both kind of creepy sounding. The first one is called Sinister. It's a found, well, it says it's, um, no, sorry, it's not a found footage film. He finds footage. He's a true crime novelist. They move into a new house. He finds a box of old found footage in the attic with a projector, and he starts playing it, and it's the family that was murdered in the home, and all of these reels are essentially um, murders happening, and um, he sees this creepy face in the in the footage and once this face, you know, the supernatural monster that Vincent D'Onofrio tell, tells him about, once he sees you through the footage, then of course, you know, you're screwed. So it, it an interesting little horror movie that he's doing. I, I, uh, I really like Vincent D'Onofrio. I, 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 good. I think he's great. I think this is one of those movies that could come out as, as just being a really, uh, hopefully scary and interesting uh, film because it's got two really, I find, it, you know, I think Ethan Hawke and Vincent D'Onofrio are, are um, Vincent D'Onofrio in particular is one of the most uh, sort of compelling character actors at work. Yeah. And I think I, I sort of ashamed that he got so kind of stuck on, I don't know, is it stuck when you get on a Law and Order show? I, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's Probably something not for that him, you serve. But I, I'm just not a huge fan of those shows. So yeah, well, it certainly I, fill, fills your pocket with a yeah. nice wad of cash. So it'll be good to see to see what uh, what he's up to. What, are you going to say well, uh, Vigilandia? No, the other one that he was in. So that was Sinister, right? Yeah. And then the other Ethan Hawke movie that's coming out. Um, actually, it may have already come out. Limited. It's called The Woman in the Fifth, and this is. Um, Ethan Hawke and Kristen Scott Thomas in this, you know, mystery story that takes place in France. Let me just read this synopsis from iTunes. American writer, and again, he's playing a writer. It's really weird. Yeah. Two, like, horror suspense sort of movies, and he's a writer. Um, and I was really confused because at first I thought I was reading the same thing. And yeah, So American writer Tom Ricks arrives in Paris to be closer to his young daughter who's living with his estranged ex-wife. Completely broke, he accepts a job as a night guard for a local crime boss. Stationed in a basement office, his only task is to push a button when a bell rings. Sounds awfully like Lost. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the tranquility of the night, he hopes, will help him focus on his new novel. His days become more exciting when he starts a romance with Mar Margaret, a mysterious and elegant widow who, sees, who sets strange rules to their meetings. She will only see him at her apartment in the 5th arrondissement at 5 p.m. sharp twice a week and he should ask no questions about her work or her past life when people suddenly start dying around tom he begins to believe that a dark force has entered his life punishing anyone who has recently done him wrong after the police accuse him of murdering his neighbor tom tries to use his weekly visits to margaret's apartment as an alibi only to find out that she hasn't lived at this address for the past 15 years 
Interesting. It, it totally sounds just like the other movie. Yeah, it really in does. a very weird way. It's like well, God is you know he's a writer and he's got this like dark element that enters his life and his child is in danger and there's this mysterious person or being that doesn't really seem to be there. It's like what? So we need to watch that. So that apparently it did come out. Uh, did it come out already or is it June fifteenth? Yeah, the 15th. Well, the, it, that was it. So it just yeah, came out. It, it just came out limited. You know, it's a foreign thriller. I don't know how wide of a release it got, but. Okay, so that's. I just, yeah, so I just found it really odd that those two films with Ethan Hawke came out or are coming out and seem very similar. Well, on the. And so Sinister comes out. He's an author. And then we have uh, what hasn't, uh, which will also come out. Let's see. Sinister hits uh, October 5th. Yeah. Just so before that, September 7th, we have The Words, which is a Bradley Cooper uh, uh, writer movie. Uh, have you heard about this one? No. This, no. Uh, you know, I Bradley Cooper is another guy to watch. I, I was, um, oh, see, now Limitless was is one of my mm-hmm. favorite movies of this uh, of last year. Oh, and wow. and um, uh, and the the I just think he's a really compelling actor. And I think he's he's got an interesting, interesting angle on on sort of the way he approaches his his performances and the words looks really good it's a um uh directed by by i don't know these people brian klugman and lee sternthal i don't either um and they they wrote and and are and co-directed uh starring bradley cooper dennis quaid and olivia wilde hello hmm. uh where he ends up stealing um an, another man's work and it's sort of the it's a you know a suspense kind of drama thriller romance about the price one pays for stealing another man's work wow a lot of weird uh author suspense films coming out because then there's that francis ford coppola one with Ex- val kilmer exactly so quite a fat, popular time fat yeah. val. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna run into him one of these days <laughs> i can only say that because because i'm i need to watch what i eat myself this summer let's just say that all right, so um, okay, man, those are those are some good. This is it's like a conspiracy theory of uh, writer movies. I know it's very strange. It's got to be some if, sort of. It's a cabal. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what it is. My okay. my. Uh, what else do we need to talk? Do we need to talk about anything else uh, before we jump into tonight's uh, main course? Had such yes, a good time, I, by the way. Can I just tell you how good a time I had in our hangout last week? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I, I can't wait to do more of them. We should be doing one right now, one would think. <laughs> one would. <laughs> the first comment on our YouTube page was, you guys need to go out and get a bar and, and in some really coarse language, get some real dates. <laughs> I thought that was good. Oh, nice. That's good advice. That's... Good, good, friendly advice. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 you know, I took the liberty to remove that comment because <laughs> what are you going to do with that? Because that's not constructive. Yeah, where's that going to go? Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, what, what, what were you going to say? You had something to say. Well, I had another um, brief trailer to mention, only mm-hmm. because it it uh, is in a way kind of a lead into tonight's discussion. There's a new foreign film coming out called Ex- Extraterrestrial. It looks like. Uh, I don't know, I didn't see where it's from, but they speak Spanish, so, you know, one of the Spanish-speaking countries. And it's uh, it looks like a comedy, except there also happens to be a UFO that arrives and, you know, all the people start disappearing or something like that. And it looks pretty funny, it looks kind of cute. And the in the trailer, it has a quote from Jason Reitman saying, the Woody Allen of of alien films or something like that. So I was like, oh, our, our buddy uh, Jason the, Reitman. <laughs> the Woody Allen of alien films. Is this the uh, uh, Nacho Vigilondo film? Uh, uh, is that whose it is? Yes, Nacho Vigalondo. Vigalondo. Yes, so apparently Excellent. he is the... See, now I'm going to have to play the trailer again to see what it is that Jason said. <clears throat> He's the Woody Allen of something or other. Michelle Jenner plays the um, is the lead actress, and she is the Spanish voice for Emma Watson in the Harry Potter movies. Oh, that's interesting. There you go. 
So yeah, see, it doesn't say where it's from. Hola. Say they wake Spain. Up a... Where it's... are you seeing Spain? Spain. Uh, original release is uh, 23rd March in Spain. Okay, you're actually looking on a page that has more information than iTunes. Yeah, yeah, I am. I'm the on Woody IMDb. Allen of science fiction. There it is, the Woody Allen of science fiction. So, not specifically alien movies. <laughs> <laughs> Although, in a weird way, now I've connected our last series to our current series. Alien films, Jason Wright. And Jason Wright. We're going to do... I, I, it occurred to me that, yeah, that was I, I checked our release calendar, and it's not on there, tonight's movie. I worried a little bit that I watched the wrong movie. Which movie are we doing? We're doing Thank You for Smoking. Oh, good. Okay, good. That's good. It, I watched that. And it is on there. I don't see it. Oh, well. Okay, well, that's all right. I'll 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 get my head straight. Uh, yeah. But we're doing uh, Jason Reitman. Thank you for smoking. Why? Uh, this is a, I love this movie. I really I, love this movie. Yeah, it's a fantastic film. A lot of people didn't like it when it came out, though, but I love it. Why do you think that is? I have a theory, but I really, am, I really want to hear yours first. Well, my theory is, you know, it's based on a book, and obviously there's always going to be I think more criticism seems to come when things are based on books. I don't know if that's really true. I haven't scientifically studied that, but that's my theory for this evening. And I think the book um, is a is a great satire on uh, political correctness and all of that. And I think a lot of people seem to feel that the film watered down some of that um, that satire. And it didn't quite, it just, it stuck with a lot more of the funny and the comic, but didn't have as much of the satire. And I, I didn't really feel that. I felt it worked, but apparently that's, I think what a lot of people had problems with. What do you, what do you think? Well, I think that's, I think that's true. I think, um, coming off of, uh, on the point of the book specifically, it was written by Christopher Buckley, who is the, the son of, of William F. Buckley. And, and I think that, um, y you know, it, he's a, it, it's sort of a partisan family, you know, I mean, and, and so there is a certain, and, and I think William F. Buckley is a, um, I think that the family has produced some really brilliant, uh, rhetoric and, mm -hmm. and that's what they are more than anything. They are rhetoricians. They are in the very classical sense. And, and I think that, um, uh, that the tone of the book uh, is is one that I think people expected more to be uh, in in the vein of Christopher Buckley rather than where it ended up, Jason Reitman. I think son, Jason, uh, son of Ivan Reitman, son of Ivan Reitman, exactly. And so, and who yeah. also is sort of who comes from the same sort of where where we have the the rhetorical empire here, we have the the sort of comedic empire, uh, and 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 I think that. There's something to be said for that. Uh, it, what what remains in the movie uh, from the book is the really sort of uh, beautiful dance of the satire that I don't uh, of satire that I don't think people get on one viewing, you know, one or two viewings. You you watch this movie, you know, one or two times, and you walk away thinking it's a smoking movie, it's a cigarette movie, mm -hmm. but I don't think it's a cigarette movie. No. Uh and and I think it takes it takes a bit to ingest what this movie is really about. That's that's my pitch. I think people people sort of look at it one movie and they, they it it can if you look at it sort of superficially like that. You could walk away from the movie saying, "Okay, well it's a cigarette movie and cigarettes are kind of played out." Like we get that there are people who really love to smoke and we get that there is now evidence that says cigarette smoking can can kill you and and it does bad things to your organ systems and secondhand smoke is bad we get all that and and okay it's funny to laugh at at the merchants of death bit but um but mostly we get it and if you yeah. don't dig deeper at the nature of of what this movie is really poking at you you might miss it yeah and and uh i i think um a lot of people who are fans of the book, they saw the changes, particularly the um, the much larger role that the son plays in the film, mm -hmm. um, and it just you know it felt like they were just changing it because you know I think a lot of people um, 
when the book came out, which was, when did the book come out? It was in the 90s. It was like 94. Uh, you know, it was one of those books that people dubbed uh, kind of unfilmable. They didn't really yes. have a clear, a clear path to make it. And by boosting the sun, it gave the audience a, a better way to connect to the protagonist, Nick Naylor. And uh, I think a lot of people felt that it, it did water down that satire and the, the um, what Christopher Buckley was talking about in his book and made it something that, you know, kind of was just a little more, I don't want to say schmaltzy, but it just had a little bit, you know, heart rather than satire, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah. Well, okay, so... So judging the movie as it as it stands uh what what is the movie what is the movie telling you I mean what is the movie uh, trying to say what's the what's the message of Nick Naylor and and his son and and how successfully do you think the movie gets it across Well I I think you're right it's it's not a smoking movie you know it's a movie and I think he actually makes it pretty clear at the end I felt the first time I saw it and every time since then I think that his speech at the end when he's um, uh, speaking before the committee and he says, you know, it's about uh, parenting and thinking and and teaching somebody, particularly if you are a parent, teaching them to think for themselves and make their own choices. You know, I, that's to me what it, what it's about. And whether, you know, if you're a good parent or or if you're you know a good person and you're teaching somebody you're going to give them all the knowledge that they can and the wisdom uh, that you can give to them and let them choose for themselves and that's a sign of of a person growing and learning and and uh, becoming a thinker and if that person after learning all of that and then they decide well I'm going to become a smoker anyway you you did what you had to do you know and Yes, he speaks on behalf of cigarettes, but this is America, and people we need those people. We need those those lawyers to defend the criminals because that's part of our system. Um, just like we needed, uh, thinking back to the People versus Larry Flint, we needed uh, that that Larry Flint to go before the Supreme Court you know, to uh, defend pornography and the right to put that out into the world. Um, it's, it's our right to have that stuff out there. But as parents, we are the people who are responsible for teaching our children to what these things are and how to think about them and how to deal with them so that when they grow up, hopefully they will make choices that we think are right. Yes. <laughs> I agree with all of that. I feel like you just gave me a speech that I should be reading on, like, wiki quote. <laughs> and then in episode, this... <laughs> what's, a, what's a number, Andy Nelson actually shared his triumphant speech on the power of education in America. That was uh, yes. good. That was good. I didn't want to interrupt you. That's right under your Spanish prisoner. I have it. <laughs> <Line> right <laughs> I I think that what is uh, there there is uh, the the layer of that that gets to me about what this movie is really and I love that that speech and uh, you know I love when he uh, you know I think it's there is a really elegant sort of play at the end and I think that's one of the things that they really kept uh, in the Naylor character from the book which is this this idea that Naylor himself is a rhetorician mm, right yeah. he is an expert at at rhetoric and at, at language and at making arguments that that um, you know cause senator 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 Finisteer, uh, right. you know to really trip up. I mean the whole the whole bit uh, where we have William H Macy, you know, the great state of Vermont will not apologize for its cheese. <laughs> oh, I think it's just great it, line. It is William a, H Macy came up with, by the way. It is well, it's a terrific line, and it's it's. Seems like that's a line he would come up with. It is a, a fantastic um, sort of interplay that that he sort of is able to that Reitman sort of creates and is able to back, um, you know, these politicians of the corner. And what we're really looking at there is an example of the power of of the lobby, and that's that I think is the ultimate underlying satire of this film is that we are you know we're looking at 
the at not you know cigarettes we're looking at the power of corporate money in america and and what this movie celebrates if anything else is the fact that we're in trouble uh because there are people like this out there on the roads of our country uh you know i would submit that the film is saying uh that are steering us in a direction that better suits them and and he has this wonderful conversation with his son mm, yep uh where they they're talking about the nature of responsibility and they're talking about you know as they're walking down the the you know sort of the darkened streets of los angeles and and he's trying to explain what he does and and what he comes down to is uh you know just like a criminal who you know everybody seems to believe did it maybe did do it deserves a rigorous defense he says mm -hmm. uh so do corporations deserve yeah. a rigorous defense right and i i think that's a really powerful message in this film as schmaltzy as as you know critics of the film may say that it was uh, I think the delivery of that message at its very core is, uh, is you know, I've talked about this before. It's this idea of a filmmaker. And I think Jason Reitman is a terrific example of of the kind of filmmaker who really does this, is is to hold up a mirror to the culture in which, you know, the, the film exists and say, you know, I want you to examine something by looking at the mirror and I'm going to shine a big light on it and I'm going to strip out the other stuff that might make that message kind of noisy and i'm going to present it to you in a way that you can see it and digest it and maybe make some make some new better informed decisions or maybe inspire you to do some research on your own and and the way he approaches sort of the the kind of delicacy with which he approaches um the power of the lobby through satire i think is um you know second to none in this film i think this film really has has staying power in that regard yeah, I completely agree. Another um, conversation he has with his son, which actually I think falls immediately after the one that you mentioned, uh, which I feel um, is one of my favorites in the film, is when he's um, teaching his son about uh, this sort of debate or how to have these conversations. Where right when they're eating at the, on the boardwalk. Yeah, where yeah. they're on the boardwalk, and there's no clear definition about which side is right or wrong, and they're talking about ice cream. He said, "You know, it's you know, you are trying to prove to that vanilla ice cream's the best, and I'm trying to pr prove chocolate's the best." And that whole conversation about how there's really no way to prove which is the best. What you're, what he's trying to do is just prove that the other person's wrong, and he's not trying to actually convince that other person to switch sides. He's trying to convince everybody else that that person's wrong so that they turn to his side. It's a very interesting way to portray what it is that he's actually trying to do and what lobbyists try to do and how they work and, and the spin. It's all about the spin. Mm -hmm. Well, and that, that scene is sort of the punctuation of the opening scene of the film on the Joan London show where we have, we're introduced to Cancer Boy and, uh, you know, Nick Naylor and Goody and all the other uh, sort of representatives of the other side of the discussion. And, and uh, you know, we see in Technicolor, so to speak, uh, Nick Naylor take a uh, take the uh, the general tone and tenor of the conversation and turn it on its ear uh, in, in a what the most elegant display of of evil uh in terms of the the broader discussion and the distinction of the, what the cigarette industry the cigarette lobby is doing mm -hmm. uh and then the rest of the film goes about explaining it uh yeah. I, I think in a really wonderful way uh i get, can we talk a little bit about nick naylor the the character arc of nick naylor cuz i i find him so fascinating yeah uh let's so i think this story i my general impression of the story, when you look at sort of Naylor's um, journey through it, is that it is designed in some way to humiliate him, right? I mean, this is supposed to not not necessarily humiliate, that's a bad word, but to humble him in some way. Right. Do you agree right, with that? Right. Yeah, I would agree. Okay. And and I think there are three really key points, uh, three really key sort of moments that that lead to that humbling. This complex calculus of of the humbling journey of Nick Naylor. The mm -hmm. first is his, you know, he is in a position of power, uh, 
leading up to, you know, for the first 15 minutes or so. And he goes into BR and they have their big meeting about how they're going to resuscitate, uh, you know, resuscitate big tobacco. And right. and he suggests that we need to get cigarettes in the movies. And then he goes, he's summoned to the captain and he, is, he discovers that, in fact, BR has taken credit for his idea. Right. And yet the the captain, the big boss of tobacco, somehow sees through it and says, uh, you know, I want you to report directly to me. Right. Mm-hmm. You you kind of get this feeling that the captain is sort of buffeted the humiliation a little bit by with a wink and a nod saying, you know, I know BR is not that great. He's a lot of bluster. The subtext that I'm reading out of that is that he's a lot of bluster. And, and in fact, you know, I get it. I get that you're the go getter and I want you to report to me on this Hollywood thing. Mm-hmm. OK, go ahead. Fantastic. I was just going to say that's a fantastic scene because of how well it's written. And, and I haven't read the book. I can't compare the two, but it's just so uh beautifully done where there's nothing on the nose about it no it's, it's so just, true it's so clean it's so true and it and it that that scene sort of lasts through uh, several locations and it finally the the sort of um the ellipsis at the end of this really elegant you know you, you can't really underscore the performances of of uh aaron eckhart and robert duvall as the captain uh is so subtle Uh, And at the end, when Duvall sort of leans out and says, you know, family takes care of its own or tobacco takes care of its own, your family now tobacco takes care of its own. Right, right. That's a that, you know, it's it's just perfect. I mean, it's just perfect. So, you know, he's sort of rescued from that first humbling moment. Right. Right. Yep. Then he goes to California. And now he's humbled in his street education. When right. he sees this community that he do, he visibly does not understand. And I find this wonderful when he is introduced to a $7,000 koi and you see his reaction, his physical reaction. He does not understand a $7,000 fish. Right. Everything he's seen, he does not understand it. And finally, he is introduced to Rob Lowe and introduced to the concept of future smoking after we get all over all the smoking is dangerous thing when cigarettes are safe smoking on a space station and he realizes and he says i could learn a lot from this guy mm-hmm. right that he's humbled yep then he's asked to go uh he's asked to go to uh to do the payoff right right he's asked to go to do the payoff he's got to pay off the former marble man and he and, and this scene is unreal so i'm gonna stop my diatribe and let you talk about this because i really want to hear what you think about this scene when you are set up on the scene that he's feeling humbled. He is in this point of weakness and you feel like the dramatic arc is leading you to some sort of a realization, a rationalization, a demonstration of his learning, of the nature of of his learning. And he gets in front of Sam Elliott, brilliant mm-hmm. former Marlboro man. I'm yep. sure he's living the dream. And, uh, and, and he twists it. And all yeah. of a sudden you realize halfway through that he... You think he's making a case that really supports, uh, you know, Elliot's character and really supports him taking the money and making a big stink and actually being, but it turns out he's, he wasn't being honest at all. You think it's the first time you actually are getting a glimpse of honesty in this character, but he doesn't have it at all. Well, uh, see, I don't know if I would say that. I feel he is honest and I feel that uh, he's, everything he does has this version of honesty. It's it's just a different view of honesty, you know, because he I mean, I think he's right. I think everything he says to um, the Marlboro man, to, to Sam Elliott, um, is is true to uh, it, it's he's he but he spins that that presentation of the money to him in such a unique way where using the truth, he totally turns the entire situation on the Marlboro man. And, well, he does. And turns it into a situation where uh, he knows that Sam Elliott is going to take the money. Well, and that's the nature of spin, right? It's the because all he presents are facts. All he presents is the current reality as it exists right now. I have mm. a briefcase full of money. It's a payoff. It's designed to shut you up. If you mm-hmm. take the money, you have to shut up because there's yep. no other way to do this. Or you take the money, you don't shut up, and you become a figurehead for the anti-smoking thing. But either way, you don't get the money or you shut up. Yeah. Okay? 
And so it's all real. I mean, that's, that is all sort of truth. But the nature of spin is taking reality and putting it in such a way that the only decision that can be made is one that is serving the spinner. Exactly. And it's, it's a fascinating scene because you're right. He goes into that and we go into that with him. I mean, he's, he's walking into a house with a man who's holding a rifle, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, right from the start, we're not at ease and we feel he's not in his element. He wasn't planning on this trip to, to visit Lorne. And he goes into this house and it's, it, we don't think that he's got this plan worked out. And uh, and then he starts talking, and you realize partway through, wow, he has had this figured out from the start. Well, and 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 I think even more importantly than from the start, he's had it figured out way before we ever did. Yeah, right. I mean, that's the that's the upshot that he knew he knew how this was, or did he? And I guess that's the question. You know, did he go in uh, in any sort of? Um, you know, enlightened state and actually sort of have this recognition kind of down the road. I, I don't well, know. If that's I think his line that he says afterward to his son, you know, when the son asked him how he knew the guy was going to take the money, he said, you know, I got to be crazy. I didn't, but I, I, I knew if I went and I looked at him and he wasn't crazy that he wouldn't take the money because you'd be crazy not to take yeah. that money. Okay. So that's the, that's the next point of uh, sort of the the humbling data point on Nick Naylor's journey. The next one is the actual humiliation uh, of the the uh, article that Katie or, or, Katie Holmes. What? Yeah. Well, I was going to say the kidnapping. I don't know if that's really humbling, but um, it's, well, it, I guess it is. Yeah, it, it, to a certain extent, it's just making him more aware of of yeah. some of the realities of the world that he's in. No, you're you know? right. Yeah, that is a, that is yet another one. I'm, and so we have we have the um, you know the taking the the idea, stealing the idea for Hollywood, the trip to California, the payoff, the kidnapping, and then the humiliation, yeah. right? And they all get successively bigger. The stakes get successively higher in mm -hmm. each of these, right? And so he is being pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. And tobacco pushes him away, and he is he's ousted from the family. And here we are. We're at this point where the character grows stronger, cements his own, sort of foments his own future, or he changes. Right. And I think this is the part that makes Nick Naylor so interesting. That at the end of the film, the merchants of death have actually grown in ranks, adding, mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, looks like biohazard, big oil, and uh, food, the food lobbies to their mix. Right, right. And Naylor is, not only is he still effectively a lobbyist, he's teaching others how to spin. Right. So has he grown? Has he changed? Does that make it more rewarding to us or less as an audience? What's your take? Well, it's, I mean, there's two different paths that your protagonist can really take through the course of a film. There's the course where they grow and there's the course where they don't grow. Um, what's key is that if they, if you're, if your protagonist is somebody who is going to have a growth over the course of the film, they're a bad person over the course of the film, they learn a lot of little things and they decide to be a good person at the end. Right. There's going to be a person, a, a character that 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 they learn from over the course of the film, and that person is going to help that person make that transition. Likewise, you can have a protagonist who, who essentially is, remains steadfast over the course of the film, and then what's going to happen is they are going to end up influencing a character in the film to actually make a change. I think Nick Naylor falls into that second category. He grows stronger in his belief that talk is not cheap, but it's it's his job, it's his livelihood, he's good at it, and even if working with the tobacco companies is not the right place, he's going to find a way to make it work. And he makes the right decision to leave them in the end and start his own company and and move forward and move onward. You could say that's a change, but I don't think that's really a change. I would 
probably say that the relationship story with his son, that's where the change happens. And his son goes from somebody who doesn't really understand this world of spin to somebody who now by the end of it, he's gone and become somebody who knows how to give a speech that can, can win him awards. And, and yeah. he's learned the art of BS. And I, and I think that's the nature of, of, of Nick Naylor. Um, in this film, and I think it's it, it's a very solid. Um, I mean, there is still growth in him, but it's all growth in kind of the same direction. It's not like we're watching a big transition in this character. Well, and that's I think what's so interesting because the character that he portrays, in in fact, has sort of likable characteristics, but mm-hmm. he's doing a thing that many find kind of re- repellent. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and some people and, would call him an an, an anti-hero. An anti-hero, exactly. And that's what's so interesting because he is he. You know, we we've got some of these that these characters in sort of popular culture right now. Nick Lather, one of them. We've got Dexter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, is another big one right now. It's this idea that we have these anti-heroes. These these we're following these characters who are we we generally dislike, uh, and yet by the nature of the story that we're being told, we are put in a position of having to root for them in some way. Yeah. Right? In all of this, I'm rooting for Nick Naylor to learn something and to change and to grow and to teach his son a great lesson and to do that. And 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 uh, unlike these other the other sort of character arc you're describing, in Nick Naylor's case, we're we're begging as an audience for other characters around him to learn lessons at his expense. Yeah. And I think this movie does that very well. Uh and also, you know, illustrates some things about, uh, you know, through the use of, of satire about our political system that is that are important for us to know. And I think that's what makes this an important movie. The most depressing line in the in the film is the is the closing line. Uh, Michael Jordan plays ball. Charles Manson kills people. I talk. Everyone has a talent. <laughs> And you want something else to happen. You want something else to happen. And all you know is that now he's teaching, uh, you know, telecom executives how to how to respond to the press when confronted with cell phones and radiation and tumors. Mm-hmm. And it, that is the next great frontier. So right, right, uh, right. So it it makes me both sort of love uh, Nick Naylor for what he is, and it makes me uh, really hate him that much more for what he represents. And that that I think is the message that that Reitman certainly wanted to get by. And he did it in a way that was such a it, it wasn't a blunt is- instrument. I think he did it with a, a, a real scalpel in terms of yeah. the, the story itself. Well, and you know, I mean, it's uh, but again, going back to the idea of, I, I completely agree with you. I think that uh, what he's doing with this film is genius the um but the nature of telling his son you know the dangers of smoking um you know and and he says this in the in the I can't remember if he says it in the film or if it's you know something that Reitman said and something I saw but everybody knows smoking is bad smokers know smoking is bad why do we need to keep spouting on about how bad smoking is we all know the nature of it is we just need to be talking about it and we need to make people aware and just, you know, it's, I don't know where I'm going with that, but you know, it's, it's the, it's the nature of talk. And I think that's what this film is about. It's the spin, but it's also just talking. And and there's a, there's a little difference there. And, but you know, just, I think what he talks to his son about several times is is a lot about the spin but by doing so i think he's also talking to his son and in a way kind of teaching his son that you know there are bad things out there and i will guide you and let you know what i think the bad things are but i want you to be able to make your own decision if you think it's bad or not well and that that gets directly to the power of talk versus the power of message Mm-hmm. And and I think we get the first sort of real message at the end of the film in Naylor's speech. Gentlemen, it's called education. It doesn't come off the side of a cigarette carton. It comes from our teachers, and more importantly, our parents. Uh, it's the job of every parent to warn their teachers. Like, you can really feel that he is, you know, he's he's telling talking about something that he 
believes in, not something that he's had to convince himself to believe in. I look yeah. at my son, who was kind enough to come with me today, and I can't help but think that I'm responsible for his growth and his development, and I'm proud of that. Well, having said that, would you condone him smoking, Finisterre says. Mm-hmm. Well, of course not. He's not 18. That would be illegal. Yes, I've heard you deliver that line on 2020, but enough dancing. What are you going to do when he turns 18? Come on, Mr. Naylor. On his 18th birthday, will you share a cigarette with him? Will you spend a lovely afternoon like one of your ludicrous cigarette advertisements? You seem to have a lot to say about how we should raise our children. What of your own? What are you going to do when he turns 18? If he really wants a cigarette, I'll buy him his first pack. Yeah. And that's, that is a, you know, at the end of the movie, this is a message we should not be celebrating. We should right. not be celebrating this message, but that's what the art of this of, of of this film is. You want to celebrate the message, yeah. You want to celebrate that 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 is is a point of honesty. That's a point of the message that he really believes. Exactly. That's it's brilliant. It is really brilliant. It is. It's a it's a great film uh, for a first film in particular. I mean, this was Jason Reitman's first film. I mean, obviously, he grew up in the business. He kind of had. A little more of an in, I guess you could say, um, and had been around his father's sets, had done short films, had done commercials and all that. But for a first film, I thought this was uh, pretty great. Well, first film, and it, you know, he was he was twenty nine when he made this movie. I I was not, I I was pretty dumb when I was twenty nine. <laughs> I was not you I was not both. this smart when I was twenty nine. Oh. This is a really artful film. This is. Uh, this was really beautifully, beautifully done. What any? What else should we talk about with regard to the production, sir? Well, it's it's interesting. Mel Gibson actually uh, bought the rights to Buckley's novel um, back I, around when it came out. Um, he wanted to be in it, but again, like I said earlier, nobody could figure out how to adapt the script. It just it was one of those scripts that just couldn't be, they couldn't figure it out. They couldn't crack. Um, Jason Reitman, somebody had given this to him as a gift, the book, and he read it and was like, oh my God, I have to do something with this. He found out that Mel Gibson had the rights, contacted him, tried, uh, you know, he, I guess he did convince them to write the script and, and um, Mel Gibson loved it and uh, but still even after that for years they couldn't get money to make it and so um somehow jason reitman ended up getting in touch with david Sachs, who had uh was one of the uh, i think one of the i don't know if he's a creator yeah, he was of a PayPal, co-creator but, of paypal yeah. yeah and uh they just sold it and so he was uh pretty well off and bought the rights for Mel Gibson um, and uh, moved forward with Jason Reitman. He let uh, Jason Reitman stay on board as the writer-director, and uh, they went forward to make the movie. So it took a, a quite a bit of time, but they, they did get uh, going on it and made it as an independent film for uh, $7.5 million. It uh, premiered at the Toronto Film Festival, and um, it was uh, received very well. And uh, after, I guess there's a little bidding war, but Fox Searchlight ended up with it. And I think they paid uh, more than it uh, cost to make. I think they paid, I want to say, $8 million to buy the rights. Wow. Wow. So. Uh, Interesting that, well, two points. First of all, it comes back to Tom Cruise not being happy with something. (laughs) Uh, That Tom Cruise apparently, the the Katie Holmes, Aaron Eckhart, uh, uh, dalliance, uh, was apparently much more nude. Actually, I'll tell you a story about that. Jason Reitman talked about it on the commentary. Well, yeah, that it was not more nude and mostly people just made up stuff. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What happened they, when they showed it at Toronto film festival, the, the sex scene, the crazy humping scene, it's, it's, it's really it's, funny. It is a very it's funny a scene. very funny scene. It's right at the start of the third reel, and when the projectionist was assembling the film, uh, putting all the reels together, he thought that it was just um, part of the leader, and chopped off that whole sex scene, thinking it wasn't uh, thinking that there wasn't anything there. I don't know what they missed, but anyway, accidentally chopped it off showed the film, Jason Reitman made a comment that something was missing to the audience, 
and that it was a sex scene. And it started this, you know, fervor. Everybody, everybody wanted to see this missing sex scene. And, and that started the rumor, oh, Tom Cruise thought it was too lewd and didn't want his wife seen in it and all this stuff and had it pulled. And that's how the rumors all started. But, you know, Jason got the projectionist to put the bit back on and all the other screenings had it. Well, but let's be let's rumors. be clear. The, <laughs> yes. the, it, this is one of those cases where that rumor is far more believable than the truth. <laughs> That's true. Uh, there was one other thing I wanted to say on that, and I have now forgot. Oh, I, I think it's important to <laughs> note. True. I think it's important to note that there was uh, th- that there was no actual smoking of a real living character in this film. Right. Or yeah, I guess yeah, that's true. I was going to say or a dead character, but. But we, I mean, we have the only smoking that was actually displayed was, uh, you know, from the the film, the old films that yeah, they the had John displayed, Wayne, yeah, right. Sands of Iwo Jima. So, uh, you know, I think that's an interesting uh, thing when you look at a movie, and that, I think that goes to the point about the movie not being about smoking. Uh, it is, it, it really, it's, it, it sets the whole atmosphere of what the film is supposed to be about. You don't see anybody smoking. We need to. We, he's moved past that uh, right. in the telling of the story. I think it was, it was great. But yeah, I, it was really interesting, and um, um, it's funny. Something my wife oddly picked up on because after he recovers from his kidnapping and having been covered in nicotine patches, the doctor tells him that he's going to have to quit smoking and he'll smoke again. And my wife was just like, "I didn't know he smoked. We've never seen him smoking." It's just like, well, right. the director didn't want anybody smoking. So yeah, it's perfect. The uh, yeah, interesting little decision to make, and you know, some people actually criticized him, saying that you know, you're making an anti-smoking statement by not showing anyone smoke. Probably. And, well, what did he, he say? Said, what does he say? He, he said, you know, it's, I'm not making an anti-smoking statement. I'm making a statement about, you know, choice. I'm, I'm not making a smoking statement. Like there yeah. is no statement about smoking here. Right. There's, yeah, it's not, there's nothing. It's, yeah. you know, people are just making something out of it. It's like what you said earlier about the things that you choose to take that to not show because it's just going to cloud yes. the story. <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah. That was good, the cloud thing. Yeah, you like that? I did. I um, like that. Uh, the film actually, <laughs> it had a different ending when they shot it. And, uh, you know, they, they realized after they shot it that it was really not the right ending to have. And so they they uh, they put the current ending on. And I, I think it was a very smart decision. It's a scene where after the uh, the his speech in front of the committee, he comes outside and and BR tells the all the press that yes, he's our boy, he's gonna keep doing it. And Nick is in agreement. He's like, yep, I'm gonna, you know, help and keep helping the smoking industry and all that. Um, his son comes out and stands next to him, pulls out a pack of cigarettes and puts a cigarette in his mouth. And then his dad, um, Nick, sees the cigarette and is like, no! And he smacks the cigarette out of his son's mouth. The cigarette falls. Everybody, all the photographers, of course, are taking pictures of him smacking the cigarette out of his son's mouth. And then Big Tobacco decides they need to let him go because he's now sending the wrong message. And then the rest of the ending is the same. Big Tobacco ends up, you know, uh, uh, closing down and all that sort of stuff. But it's an interesting little change to the ending that really kind of would have affected the story. And, and you know, Jason Reitman talks about it saying, you know, the problem with that ending is it's reflecting that the son, anything from all of this that the, that the father's been talking about. So it's 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 an interesting ending, but it's one that I think they made the right decision to not have. That's right. I think because if the lesson of the movie, in large part, comes in the lessons of the son, mm-hmm. and as much as as Naylor's, it, it would have made Naylor's political speech at the end way too literal. Yeah, yeah, it would have just kind yeah. of ruined the point there. So it's a great movie. I, I just love watching this movie. It's so funny. It's so sharp. It's such an interesting look at a world that you know <laughs> frankly kind of scares me this world of lobbyists and these these talkers that that just sell these decisions that really are ones we're not that uh, uh going to be that happy with but uh these people know how to do the spin you know it's a very interesting world it is in a, a very interesting world uh we're taking on a 
a different uh, sort of world next week with another Reitman film uh, up in the air. Yes. One of my favorites. I, I just absolutely love this film. I haven't seen this film as many times as I've seen Thank You for Smoking. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it again. I think I've maybe seen this four or five times, but uh, uh, but it's it's not one that I've watched really carefully. So I'm I'm looking forward to digging into it this week. It's going to be a fun one. Yeah, it will be yeah. a great film to revisit. A little depressing. Yes, yeah, kind of a kind of a downer in a different way than this movie is a downer. Right. Exactly. Uh, it's a much more personal film. I think it's a it's. It's fascinating. So uh, I can't wait to talk about that. We are. Uh, I will be coming to you from the lake next week. Uh, I'm very excited about the lake. I, I have this. I have my whole rig set up. I got my laptop. Got the got the mic. I'm I'm ready, ready to podcast from vacation. Wow. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Here's hoping. I want to do that. You should. You should come to the lake. It's too I hot should. where you are right now. We. You should come. It with is. Me. It is pretty miserable here. All right. We're gonna work that out. Yes. Maybe we'll do. Maybe we'll do another hangout very soon. All so right, people, yeah. stay tuned. People, uh, we're going to keep you notified this time. We did a, the first hangout was a little bit of a test. So the next time around, we're going to do. Uh, we'll we'll have more notice about when we're going to be doing our next uh, hangout. We would love you to join us. So we'll open it up and have more, uh, more questions, more interactivity. Very excited about it. It's going to be fun. All right, catch you next week. Have a good one. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today.